Welcome to the Good Question with Jessica Tanderup podcast. I'm Jessica, and I have a passion for asking hard questions and going deep in conversation. Usually these discussions happen over dinner or coffee with a close friend. But on this podcast, I bring them to you because I want you to know if you have questions, you're not alone. On this show, I invite apostolic leaders, thinkers, and fellow believers to tackle the tough topics questioners face as we strive to live out our biblical mandate to love God, love people, and take the gospel to the whole world here in the 21st century. I hope you'll stick around because when you know Jesus is the answer, every question can be a good question. Hey there, friends. Welcome to episode 17. I'm so glad you're here. Our conversation today is going to bless you, I have absolutely no doubt. I will warn you now, so you have a little time, you might want to find a tissue or two just to have on hand, in case you need it. While you're digging through your purse or fishing in the glove box, let me say thanks to the friends who came over to buy me a coffee and made a one-time gift to the show this week. We appreciate it so much. If you've been blessed by our content, we hope you'll show your support as well. The link is in the show notes. Today, my guest is Christopher Rumpf. Chris is a minister from Bridgeport, Connecticut, and he joined me to talk about the wilderness experience. We discuss what we as Christians mean when we talk about the wilderness. And Chris shares his story, which starts with the joy of a long-awaited child, but takes a turn down a darker path, one lined with loss and grief. Chris tells us about the questions he's asked God about his confusion and fear, but also about the ways God has sustained him and how he is growing through a difficult time. No Christian is immune from seasons in the wilderness. We will all find ourselves there one day if we haven't already. This episode offers practical tips for continuing forward through hard times and great advice for how to support someone else in their time in the wilderness. I know this conversation is going to bless and encourage you. So let's get to it. Here's my chat with Christopher Rumpf. Chris Rumpf, welcome to Good Question. Thank you for having me on, Jessica. Before we start, I would just like to have you introduce yourself and tell us um, a little bit about who you are and where you're from, what you're about. My name is Christopher Rumpf. Currently, right now, I'm living in Bridgeport, Connecticut. I've been here for about eight years Originally, I'm from Felton, Delaware. It's a small town in Delaware. Love Delaware, miss it. But currently, God has us in Bridgeport, Connecticut, ministering. My normal job, my daytime job, is actually I'm a builder. I started my own home renovations group, and I've been doing that for quite some time, probably about five, six years now. That's been put on hold just because of all of life circumstances, but that's pretty much the job that I do. Currently, I'm a licensed minister for the United Pentecostal Church International. I've served as a youth pastor in um, the church we're at, City Harvest Ministries, for the last seven and a half years. And currently, right now, I've actually um, turned that realm over to someone else, or those reins over to someone else. And right now, I'm just kind of pursuing more of ministry and taking some time right now to heal, grow, and uh, see where God has the next chapter of my life to go. Very, very cool. And that healing and growing part is a little bit about what we're going to talk about. On this episode of the podcast, we invited you on to talk about the wilderness experience. And 
anyone who is familiar with apostolic churches and apostolic preaching and the Bible has heard ministers talk about people in the Bible experiencing a wilderness experience or people in the church today also walking through what we term a wilderness experience. But for someone who maybe isn't familiar with that terminology, could you just start us off by telling us a little bit about what that means? Well, generally, the wilderness experience or that wilderness time is a time, in essence, uh, the easiest way for me to say it is a stripping away of control, in a sense. It's almost like you're in situations that are beyond your control. So if you look in the Bible, you will see an instance where the children of Israel were called out to the wilderness. They were placed in situations that were beyond their control. They would like to have full control of the situation, how it would turn out, but that was beyond their control. It's also when you find yourself in a place of the pain is, whether it's mental, emotional, or physical, that you can't get rid of on your own. You can't totally relinquish it on your own. You're in a sense in a place where you're almost, for lack of a better term, you're almost in a helpless sense to where you have to rely on something greater than yourselves. And it's also a sense of when your faith is being tested or when you're being pushed to levels that you have never been before. But all of it's for a specific purpose. But that in a nutshell is what that wilderness experience is is when you find yourself in a place that you're just literally not in control of your destiny and your the little box that we all like to to basically draw in our lives that it would go in the direction of when you're in that place where you're no longer in control of that that's when you're finding yourself truly in a wilderness experience yeah and i think it's such a broad phrase because for each of us it takes on different different specifics right It can be lots of different things, but I think that's a very good, succinct definition of losing, losing control of our health, of our future, of our situation. And none of us likes to be in that kind of a position. As much as we might know intellectually that we're not in control, it's still something that we like to feel like we have some control at least. And so losing that sense of security and control can be very disorienting and very impactful on us. Oh, yeah, because whether people want to admit it or not, like literally we are all control freaks in some (laughs) way. And Mm -hmm. when we lose that amount of control, like it drives you crazy. Some people like literally they're stuck and they just don't know how to function because they they want that control and they they just can't have it during that season. Yeah, I can say that I've been there in in different times in my life. And it's always for a purpose. God doesn't just do this for fun (laughs) to, you know, mess with us. (laughs) Even if at times it might feel like that. It's always for a purpose of our growth and our and our betterment in some way. Amen. So we've been talking about it a little bit here in kind of vague generalities, but you've been through an experience in the, in recent years that's that's not vague or general. It's very specific. So I just want to open this up for you just to, to tell us about about your own wilderness experience that you have been walking through and I think probably are still walking through right now. Okay, well, it's been a quite a ride and it still is. So what happened is generally it was 2019. Me and my wife, we had been praying for a while, wanting to have a child. And 
God uh, opened that door and we found out she was pregnant. And man, you want to talk about excitement? I was like, first child. Yes, I was <laughs> stoked. Both of us were going crazy because literally our parents and everyone had been, you know, for years, the whole at the adage, like my, I would come home for Thanksgiving or Christmas and I would pick up someone's baby and my dad would be like, hey, that looks good on you. <laughs> when are we going to get one? And it's like, okay, dad. So it's like we had that pressure from so many people because we've been married up to that point around 13 years without oh, wow. a child. So, so you can see the pressure was great. But around that time, we found out she was pregnant. You know, we were super excited. Then um, uh, during one of the appointments, they asked her, uh, did you notice this lump that was on your chest? And she was like, um, no. She was a little worried. Both of us were a little, you know, angst about what had just been spoken. So we went to the doctor, set up an appointment. So a few days before Thanksgiving, she goes in for a biopsy. They check everything out. And right before we go in for Thanksgiving, they tell us that she has breast cancer. Mm. So... I mean, you, you have the great news of, you know, you're you're pregnant, you're having a child. And then right after that, not even a few weeks, you find out that your wife ends up with breast cancer. Mm. So literally at that moment, it's the craziest moment of our lives. And we're like, what? Because yeah. <laughs> like when you're when you're serving God and you're doing all the things, you know, whether people want to admit it or not, you think that, OK, when I dedicate everything to God and serve him, my life should turn out such and such or I should be free from getting hit by all these things. Whether people want to admit it or not, that's in the back of our minds. Mm -hmm. So like I'm going through, I'm like, hold on. I'm like, we're up here doing your work, Lord. We're serving you. And, and really, mm. really breast cancer at this moment? So as we're continuing to realize this and walk through it and try to figure it out, we just continue to pray. And we're sitting there and after we return back from Thanksgiving, we go back and ask some questions. So we're like, well, what are our options right now? And they're like, well, you're pregnant. So this is not normal what we would do. But one, you can abort the baby. Two, you can do the chemotherapy, which may cause damage to the baby. Mm. Or you can do nothing. And literally, we're sitting there like we're not aborting anything because we do not believe in that at all. So we're at this place and we're praying and both me and my wife just prayed and fasted and sought God. And literally, all we heard was wait upon the Lord. So literally, both of us, after prayer and seeking counsel, we decided we were going to wait. We weren't going to do the chemotherapy because she didn't want the poisons in her body while the baby was being born. So we decided not to do that and just wait upon the Lord and pray. So as we're continuing to go through this in January, my uncle passes away. And not even a month or two later, my aunt passes away. Oh and I'm like, goodness. okay. I'm like, God, what's going on? Like, I'm not getting this. I'm not understanding things. And so we're continuing this this process. And then our son was scheduled to be born on May 24th and we're in April and she's beginning to like overswell, like things are happening, her heart's racing, her sugar's spiking. So they take her into the hospital and they're like, she has preeclampsia. So they're like, okay, we're gonna have to take the baby a month early. And like, we're sitting here, we're like, what? Mm. We're like, okay, we're, we're trying to battle all this stuff. So we decide to say, okay, they did a C-section Declan was pulled out. He was good to go. He was born. But then after he was born, we're sitting in the, the room still and they rush him away upstairs. 
And we're like, what's going on? They were like, well, we couldn't find a sugar reading on him. So they took him upstairs and literally he spent the the next 25 days in the NICU. Mm -hmm. They were trying to save him and make sure because like his readings were just not where they were supposed to be. And then two times within that 25 days he was in there, they had to do two different little surgeries on him where, I mean, you're thinking your mind. I don't deserve this. You're thinking in your mind like, God, why is this happening? Why us? Why now? Like, really? And like, I'm praying and we're believing. And like, literally, it's like that. I think in that moment is when I finally understood how Abraham must have felt when God was asking him to give all Isaac as a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Because literally, I found myself broken, laying on the floor saying, God, please save my son. Don't let him die. In the meanwhile, thinking in the back of my head, God, save my wife. Don't let her die. Mm-hmm. And while I'm facing this and I'm going through it and we're like praying and we're asking God and God continues to heal. And literally a few more days go by, the 25 days hit. During that time, we're in the midst of the pandemic as well. Mm-hmm. So they don't let us both go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. I have to go to the hospital and spend the night with my son, come home. Then my wife gets to go by and spend the night with the son. Meanwhile, she's still battling breast cancer. So it's like we're ships in the night in the most trying time of our lives. Like literally one night a week, we're together. And then the rest of the time she's there or I'm there or she, it's just back and forth. And it's, it was literally a crazy time. Mm-hmm. But then finally, April 24th, And after time goes by on March, I want to say 20th or 13th, somewhere in there, he was able to come home and he was good. We got him home and we were excited. So then after that point, we're like, okay, let's go back to the doctor and see where we stand now. Mm -hmm. So we go back to the doctor and we're like, okay, you know, the whole time we have our prayer team praying, we have different people praying that we've told, you know, our families are praying. We go back and the doctor's like, well, I'm sorry, but... The cancer is spread from her breast to her liver, to her kidneys, and to her bones. Mm. And you want to talk about a moment when you're just like, God, you're supposed to be the healer. You're supposed to walk with us. Where are you right now? And I just didn't understand. And we're sitting there and she's crying and looking at me and I'm trying to figure things out. And we're like, no, we're going to still believe. We're going to hold on to God. And and every time we would go back in prayer, the only thing the Lord would say is, I will never leave you or forsake you. And it's like, but God, like she's dying. And as time goes by, so after that appointment, we're progressing forward, still believing. And during this time, like, like I'm still a minister, so I'm still going around preaching, faith, believing, trusting through the greatest trial of my life. And a lot of the people where I'm going don't even know what I'm facing and what my wife's facing. And we're preaching and doing things. And then in August, the day before my birthday, my father calls me and tells me that my brother died. Oh, my goodness. And he's my only brother. And I'm like, God, how much can we take? God, I just don't get it. And when you want to talk about getting to a place where you are at your lowest of lows, and when you're trying to hold on to faith, and when you're trying to believe the word of God, and when you're trying to walk in the ways you should, and all these things are surrounding you, you just don't have answers. After my brother dies, like we go to the funeral 
everything happens and I don't even have time to mourn him to in October, my wife passes away finally of the breast cancer. And at that point, a piece which I cannot describe or put out, it touches my life. Because at this point, I've seen so much death and I'm in this place where the woman that I love and literally God is the one who put us together. And just so you know, like I've known Alita since I was 13 and I'm 40 years old right now. So mm-hmm. she was like, we've been best friends since we were younger. So it's, it hurt and it still hurts. But it, when all of the things were said and done and after everything had happened and we had her, her go home going service, I found myself in a place and it wasn't a good place. I'm just going to be 100% honest with you. It's like I found myself questioning, do I even believe? Questioning, is he even real? Questioning just everything that's happened. Like, Jessica, it got so bad to the point where I would, during five months, I literally took a sabbatical from everything and just went back to Delaware and stayed in my parents' house and with Declan and I got to a place where, like, if I saw two people holding hands like a couple, I would break down crying and just become angry inside. And, and like, all these feelings are going and all these emotions. And, and I got to that place where I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to hide anymore. God, where are you? God, what, why did all this happen? God, why did you let her go? Because we prayed over and over again, God, heal her body, heal her body. Like it, it's almost in that sense of I was doing the same thing Job was doing. I was asking, questioning him. What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? And Jessica, I'm going to tell you, I had my Job experience. I was visiting where her, her grave site is. And I was sitting there and I just finished, you know, just having time. And as I was leaving, I was just angry with God. And as I was pulling out, the Lord said, stop the car. And I stopped the car and he said, because a few weeks before my father-in-law told me that right where her body is buried across the street when she was 16 year old, 16 years old, she uh, fell asleep one night driving back from church and her car went off the road and it was headed towards a tree for a head on collision. But right as it was headed toward the the tree, the track shift over and it went between the two trees. And this was when she's 16. And like, so in, I'm in that area in that moment and God stopped the car and he was like, you've been questioning me. But when she was 16 years old, I extended her life and I fulfilled all the promises to her. Where were you when she was 16 and when she could have died in that accident? He told me, I promised her she would marry a preacher. She did. I promised her she would have a boy, and she did. I promised her all these things, and I fulfilled them. Who are you to question me? Mm. In that moment, I just began to break down in like all the bitterness, all the anger. I am not going to say it immediately disappeared, but I began to stop being so angry towards God and began to say, okay, God. Help me to understand why I'm in this place. And that is the point at where God began to shift my perspective of the wilderness and everything that has happened. Because he led me to a passage in Isaiah. It was Isaiah 43. And I'll just read three verses. It says, I, even I am the Lord. Verse 11. And besides me, there is no savior. 
I have declared, I have saved, and I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the creator of Israel, your king. As I read that passage, I was like, well, God, what does this mean? And as I began to read the rest of the passage, so in this passage, Isaiah is talking about uh, an instance that happened to the children of Israel back in Exodus 15, where they were leaving Egypt. God began to break things down to me. He was like, if you look in the first, first few verses, the Bible talks about the Lord giving Moses the exact instructions where to lead the children of Israel. And as I began to read that, Pharaoh says, the wilderness has shut the children of Israel in. And God began to explain to me that he was the one who led the children of Israel into this, this place in the wilderness where no one else could save them except him. They were sitting in front of a body of water and their enemy was right behind them. And there was no one else who could save. All control was stripped from their hands. And in that moment, they had to develop a true trust for God. And he began to show me that, look, you're in this moment. You may not have asked for it, but I have led you into this wilderness because God wants to show us that the wilderness was not meant to destroy us, but it was meant to actually reveal more of who God is, reveal his love for us, and also for us to develop a deeper trust in him. Like as I began to pray and ask God about this, I looked at it and began to see that Alita did not die of cancer. God decided to take her out of that cancer infested body. She no longer suffers. She's no longer in pain. She's no longer having to do any of those things that she did before. You see, God began to change my perspective. He did heal her, just not in the way that I wanted. And that's why I was saying before, there's that little box that all of us, we think that this is how things should be. And God's saying, not so. Yeah. When we give our lives to God, literally, they are his. So many times, like even more so now, I find myself listening and watching people as they sing songs like I Surrender All. And, I'm, and in my mind, I'm like, do you really know what you're saying? Mm. Because when you say you surrender all, that means God has total control to do what he wants to in your life, to build you or get you where you need to be, or to bless others so that he can get the glory through your life. Colossians 3.3 says, ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Like a lot of times we read scriptures, but don't understand the depths and the meaning behind what God is saying. Like Paul talking about the fellowship of the suffering understanding that we're going to have to suffer as well, being conformed into his image while we're going through that suffering. The whole time that all these things are happening, my mind was focused on myself and my, my little bubble and woe is me. I'm going through this. I'm going to tell you, Jessica, God literally whooped me <laughs> and changed my perspective on all these things to begin to see that I lost Alita, yes, physically, but I will see her again. Like he began to change my mind. Like, yes, the, the pain's there. Yes, the hurt's there. But knowing that she has actually finished her course, it actually changes my perspective. So let me show you how detailed God is. He told me this time, 645. 
And I was like, okay. I didn't quite know what that meant at the time because it was actually right when my son was born, but my son was born at 6.05. So as time progresses, I just, you know, tuck that into my pocket. And when I was sitting there with Alita, when she breathed her last breath, I looked over at the clock and the clock was 6.45. He was trying to show me that he knew exactly when and how everything was going to happen. And he was trying to help me understand that I need to continue to trust him. Because even right before, two weeks before she passed, I was preaching somewhere and she came with me for that last one. And right before I went up to preach, the Lord spoke this word to me. He said, through brokenness, I will use you to bless others. And me in my ignorance, I was like, okay, great. You know, you're going to heal her. She's going to be healed. And, you know, through the brokenness of all we went through, I still was not trying to catch it. Mm. He was trying to show me and trying to tell me, but I wasn't listening to what he was saying. He was Mm. trying to show me that it was going to happen. And he even gave me the exact time of when it was going to happen. That just reminds me of, uh, I just finished reading the book of Luke this week and thinking about the disciples after the crucifixion, you know, in that horrible couple of days as they sat around trying to figure out what had just happened and, you know, how Jesus had told them what was going to happen. They couldn't even wrap their minds around it. And I think sometimes that's the way it is with us that the Lord can tell you, <laughs> I'm going to use you in your brokenness and in our humanity and our optimism and, on, and even in our faith in God, we say like, okay, yeah, you're going to heal us and we're, and we're going to be fine. And then we're going to bless other people. And God is, is saying like, nope, you still don't get it, but that's okay. I think he has so much compassion for us in our humanity and how little we do understand of what he's actually doing sometimes. That's so true. Because like, he is always trying to warn us and guide us and lead us and show us how much he loves us. I mean, even in those times when we're just like in la-la land trying to stay on this one path. And he's like, but that's not the path I have for you. Yeah. And you really get to that place where you've got to say, whose will is going to win out? Is it going to be my will or is it going to be God's will? Am I going to follow his will? Because... In those five months, like I had to make that decision. And like anyone else who actually finds himself in the wilderness, you have to make that decision. Because if you look at the children of Israel, they chose not to follow God's will, even after the miracles and God destroyed all the chariots and Pharaoh, like they saw, they had the instructions of what to do, but they chose not to. And they wandered for 40 years. Yeah. And a lot of And God was trying to show me so many people end up with hurt and pain and issues. And when situations like this happen, so many people backslide and leave or or they commit suicide or they do all these things because they will not choose to follow his will instead of theirs when they're in the season. Mm. It is the hardest thing. But one of the things in this season that I've like, It is actually the main thing that's helped me through is you have to go forward. You have to face the pain. You have to face the reality of it. And you have to face the future. But the Lord said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You have to face it. So practically, what are some steps that 
people can take to face it and to keep going forward. Because I agree with you, like you were saying with the children of Israel, God placed them in that wilderness and he also appointed a time for them to walk out. And they chose when the time came to not trust and to not go forward. And like you said, they continued wandering. So what are practical steps that people can take? Because in that moment, we all turn into the children of Israel and we think like, we got to go backwards. We got to stay, you know, like we're just looking around for a way out and walking through it seems too hard. So how do you practically do that? So in that practical sense, there was a statement that Dr. James Littles made at during the homegoing service for my wife. He said, Chris, when you find yourself at a place where you just don't know what to do, drop your oars, put up your sail, and let the breath of God blow and lead you where you need to go. And as he said that, it helped me through when I was going through different times and I felt like like all the pressure was coming on again. I would literally find myself just worshiping and praising God. It's like almost in a sense where you you know how like uh, you'll go through times where like God saves you or God does this in your life. And it's like you almost have the bag of nuggets that you remember what God did. Mm. During that time, I had to draw back into that bag and say, Lord, you saved me from such and such. And I worship you and I praise you. Lord, you allowed me to have this Proverbs 31 wife. I thank you for her. Lord, I thank you for my son. I thank you for the opportunity you allowed me and her to have with each other. I began to have to just thank God. And every morning, even to this day, when I wake up, I begin to thank God for the time that I spent with her. Thank God for the things that he's taught me through her. Thank God for our relationship, just listing things and thanking God. And it begins to change my spirit from that heaviness and that negativity to begin to feel a lightness because I'm remembering the goodness and the things and all the things that were blessed and how God helped us and brought us through. And when you're going through those seasons, you literally have to take your mind off of the negativity and replace it with the positivity. You literally have to thank God consistently. And another thing I did was I was accountable to healthy leaders and mentors in my life. So when I got to that place to where, let's say there's weeks I'm going by and I'm thanking God and it just feels like I, I, I can't get past this certain point, I would call or reach out to someone who... I know is a healthy, and I I emphasize healthy Mm. leader or mentor, because they can also speak a word into you, or they could pray with you, or they can encourage you to help you to that next place. You've got to know yourself, and you got to know when you're about to go back into that place again, okay, I need to reach out to someone and be accountable. Hey, I'm feeling the depression come, or I'm feeling the loneliness set in. You know, I just need someone to, to talk with and would you pray with me? Would you encourage me? Like there's got to be an openness and a transparency. And a lot of people don't want to do that because if they do that, then they're saying I'm weak. Mm. But when you say you're weak, then he is strong. And the body of Christ is there to bless you. And this is one of our main issues. And I say this in the body of Christ is that people don't want to actually open up and share a lot of the pain and hurt. You don't share it with everybody. 
putting that out there beginning. But there's got to be people that you have in your life. There's got to be brothers and sisters where you can share that and open up and be honest and begin to heal from it. If you're always closing yourself off and isolating, you're not going to heal. But bitterness and other things can develop and you're sitting in that place of isolation and you're never able to move forward. Mm. You're never able to get that healing that you need. So between worship and praising God, between thanking them and remembering all the goodness and recalling those things and being accountable to those around me, those are the key three things that I keep in my life every single day to help me to progress forward. Practically, people can find healthy mentors or people within their church or someone around them that they can actually link up with. People can easily open up their mouths and praise and thank God and begin to think of things that God has blessed them with or helped them through and thank God for those things. Yeah, I think I think it's good because what you're what I'm hearing you say is that you do these things whether you feel like doing it or not. Correct. And a lot of times in these kinds of seasons of our life, we don't feel like doing it. And the natural thing that comes to your mind when you wake up in the morning probably isn't praise and thanksgiving at first, at least. It is the pain. It is the grief. It is the anger. Right. And the confusion. And so it's so easy to just dwell there. And I say this as a person who I have and I do still, to a certain extent, struggle with some anxiety and depression. And I can see my own thoughts sometimes. (laughs) And if I can catch it, I can turn it the other direction. But sometimes it's like, if I know if I stay on this path in my own mind, this is where it's going to lead. It's going to lead into more anger. It's going to lead into more depression. It's going to lead into bitterness. And eventually, if I don't get a hold of it, it's going to lead me far away from God. Oh, Jessica. Mm. But if I can stop it and turn it in that moment and say, no, I'm not going to do that. And that takes some willpower and that takes some courage because it's not natural. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel natural in the moment to do that. Oh, 100%. But I think that's so great what you said about looking for someone when you when you can feel like I can't I can't get a hold of this today. <laughs> if, on my own, I'm not <laughs> going to be able to turn this around. I got to reach out to somebody else. I think that's so powerful. And I think you're right. We do. We do fear opening up and telling people for whatever reason. But I think it's just a lie of the enemy to keep us to keep us stuck. Oh, 100%. Like, it's so real that two days ago, I woke up and uh, I looked up and I saw a picture of me and Alita. And like, I felt myself begin to go down that trail. Mm. And like, for a second, I was like giving heed to it, like, oh, oh. and then I stopped and I was like, no, 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 no. Thank you, God. And literally, I could feel myself dipping in. And then when I switched gears, I could feel myself coming out. Mm. And it's, Like you said, you have to have the willpower. You have to like be conscious and diligent about saying, I need to progress forward. And I've got to be able to, to with the word or with encouragement, fight these attacks. Because a lot of them are attacks after the fact. Mm. Because the adversary also does know that you are out there and you're trying to get to the place you need to. So some are attacks and some are just your natural human self wanting to feel someone to feel sorry for you wanting to stay in that place or wanting to just have a pity party for yourself. Cause there's many days I just want to have a pity party. Mm. Right. And that's not to say that grief is not real and natural and that it's not important 
to walk through it, right? We're not saying that you should ignore it, push it down, pretend like you're not grieving, pretend like you're not hurting. There's a difference in putting on a putting on a, a happy face and walking out like nothing is wrong. That's not the same thing as consciously putting your mind on the word, purposing to give thanks and to praise God, choosing to reach out to someone when you're feeling discouraged. Like those are two different things. Oh yeah, 100%. And I think it's important for people to hear that because I think sometimes from the outside, someone might only see that it looks like a person who's walking through something that we can't even fathom how hard it must be. And on the outside, they look like they're doing okay. And we think like, well, I couldn't do that. My faith is not that strong. I must not love God enough, right? When we don't actually know what's going on underneath the surface. Oh, 100%. That's why uh, the other thing, I'm like so glad that you have this platform to where people can open up because there's been too many times where people feel that they see these people who are anointed but don't understand or just are going through life and they look like they have it together and they don't understand what they're going through behind closed doors mm-hmm. or what they've been through. But all they see is this this finished product or they see what's in front of them and just a snapshot, but they don't see it all. And most people are like, I can't, I'm never going to be able to get there. I, I've got too many issues. And I was encouraging someone the other day. I was like, look, the Bible is filled with people with issues. Mm -hmm. Like God didn't hide that. (laughs) And I'm not going to hide it. And those people who do hide it are only fooling themselves. Yeah. Because it's going to come back out. And that's what I was saying before. You're going to have to face your pain. You're going to have the grief. Like you're going to realize what has happened or what you're going through. But when you realize that, you're also going to have to, in a sense, say, I realize it. I'm dealing with it, but I can stay in this place for a season, but I can't stay here forever. Yeah. And that's like the, the point where many people, they get caught in it and they try to stay in there and make that their permanent dwelling place. And the Lord's saying, no, 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 no. I'm bringing you through the wilderness. And if you look at it, the children of Israel went through the Red Sea. They went through it. And the walls came down on their enemies behind them. If they would have stayed right where they've been, that enemy would have overtaken them and destroyed them. Mm. And too many people choose not to go forward and go through the pain, through the hurts, through the revealing and pulling back of the layers of what's in their life. And ultimately, they get destroyed. And that's why you have to face your grief. You you go through it. You find different people, a good support group to help you, but you have to face it. You have to go through it because if you don't go through it, you're omitting the process that God has for you to actually find out what his will for you is after that season is over. Yeah. And and the thing that I've learned is that God can handle it. Oh, yeah. I think sometimes we're afraid to actually take that pain and that grief to God in total honesty, even though we know he knows our heart and our mind anyway. But what I have found is that when I do open up and I'm just raw and honest with whatever it is, even my anger at the Lord, he's not afraid of that. Just like we believe on this show, he's not afraid of our questions. He might not always give us an answer or an answer that we like. There comes a point, like you said, where he's gonna, he he might answer us and say, I know better and you need to just trust me. <laughs> you know, he, he might not, he might only put up with us for a little while before he, he corrects us like a good father. 
but he doesn't reject us when we come to him with with that pain. And so I think we we can help ourselves move forward by being honest with ourselves and with God about the pain and the anger and the hurt and letting him deal with them rather than stuffing them down because they're always going to leak out some way, right? Oh yeah. They're always going to leak out and it's that's why it's so important to really just embrace it and say look you know what be honest and open with god because like you said he already sees and knows but it really most of it's i know for me it was my pride just saying you know what i want to still be strong lord and he's like just just admit that you can't do this (laughs) and in the moment i admitted i'm like lord i i can't do this i'm gonna break if i try to do it on my own is the moment he will meet you and just continue to say i'm here with you Let's walk through this thing together. Yeah. I want to go back to something that you've, you've emphasized a couple of times, which is reaching out to healthy mentors. What is the importance of finding someone who's healthy? And how do you determine if the person that you're reaching out to is a healthy mentor? Well, that right there in itself, the finding that healthy mentor is so key to it. I know that for me personally, I've had... Um, I don't just reach out to anyone like I'm prayerful about trying to find someone and you like they like most things, you'll know them by their fruit. Like when you're around that person, uh, what type of where's the conversation go or how do you feel when you're with them or do you ever hear them talk negative about someone like these are questions you should almost have like a a resume in a sense Mm -hmm. of questions a list of questions you're asking and you're looking because one of the biggest things is I'm a big proponent if someone's going to be your mentor there needs to be that air of if you tell them something you don't have to worry that the next day it's going to be on social media Mm. and some cryptic message Mm. You want it to be where I can trust this person and they're like Fort Knox. It's Mm -hmm. not going anywhere except to God in prayer. So in finding that, you have to really be prayerful about that. I was prayerful about it. And the Lord actually placed a a man and his wife, a pastor and his wife in my life that I've always been open and honest with. And like when you do that and when you set that up, it's a blessing because I'm going to tell you three months into when I was in um, Delaware, my mentor reaches out to me and he's like, you know, I don't ever reach out or push or do anything, but God gave me a dream about you. And literally when he spoke the dream, everything lined up, everything was as it was exactly as I said in the dream. And it let me know that God was trying to get my attention to change direction. Mm. So it's like, You've got to be able to, this person or the man or woman, whoever is in your life as a healthy leader or mentor, has to have a connection with God. They have to be connected to the source. And I don't just mean being a a title and a position. They have to be spiritually connected Mm. and sensitive. And it's important to find those leaders, like those who will pray for you, not just someone that will hear what you have to say and then say, I'll pray for you and not really do it. Mm. They have to be there for you because they need to be there through the thicket and encourage you. I hope I answered that fully. Yeah, that's that's really good. So we've all we all experience times of wilderness in our lives. And we've talked a whole lot about what to do when you're in the when you're in that experience. But then you have the people who are on the outside watching someone else walk through these difficult times. And so what would you say to those folks who maybe have 
watched someone else walk into a wilderness experience and there's genuine concern and there's genuine love there for the person, what can we say or do to help someone? And what are things maybe we shouldn't say or we shouldn't do when a loved one is walking through the wilderness experience? So this one is people sometimes, uh, I, I don't know what goes through their minds, but you have to be very sensitive to the person who's going through something. Less is more. Mm. The less you say, the better. Sometimes it's better just to, I love you, praying for you. Maybe just a hug if, you know, during, we're not in social distancing and you can do it. <laughs> but but we're just a small word. Because literally, I, I got a message on my phone from an individual and they said, when you get over all this stuff, give me a call. <gasps> I was like, what? <laughs> no. I got a letter from another individual saying, you know, oh, well, such and such has happened to me. I'm going to pray God sends you a wife. I'm like, what? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and then I had someone else, like, in the midst of all this stuff, they were questioning, like, my integrity, how I handle things, like, all these things, mm. and saying it publicly. And I'm just like, you know what? Sometimes less is more. It's, it's better not to say anything <laughs> to some people. You don't have to have the words to say to them. Sometimes we think we have to have this, have this whole monologue, this whole, here's the scriptures. No, just pray for the person, be a gentle hand to touch them and know that there is someone there loving them mm -hmm. because God's already in the situation dealing with the individual. And unless God literally spoke to you to say the monologue, don't say anything. Just tell them you love them encourage them by, I love you and I'm praying for you. Less is more mm -hmm. because you could say the wrong thing at the wrong moment that could trigger someone and it could really damage them because not everybody has thick skin. Yeah. But definitely less is more. Yeah. I think that's such good advice. We talked about this on an earlier episode. We did an episode about grief and talked about how a lot of times the the words that we want to say to someone when they're going through grief or, or time of wilderness is more for us than it is for them anyway. We're wanting to make yeah. ourselves feel better. And again, it's just preferring our brother and sister and thinking about them over ourselves. And maybe it's okay if we're a little bit uncomfortable and we just offer them love and support and prayer and we deal with our own discomfort <laughs> around the situation somewhere else. And not with the person that's hurting. <laughs> that's true because sometimes people forget. It's like they're looking at the situation and they're thinking, oh, my goodness, I feel so hurt. I feel this. I need to do this. And you're like, you need to put your eyes back on the person and say, I wonder how they're feeling. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't say that or, yeah. or say this or that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, one more question, I guess. And this is a question that is not an original Jessica Tanderup thought. I heard another podcaster who likes to use this question a lot and I just love it. And so I borrow it. And the question is, what do you know about God that you didn't know before you went through this experience? I will definitely tell you um, there's this um, that going through this time, God has revealed more of himself to me about how much he truly does love me. Like it's one thing to understand God's love, but like he's taken me to a deeper place that I, I didn't understand, like how much he loves all of us and cares for us. And also that for me, 
through scripture and searching, he also helped me to understand that when you go through these seasons is actually when you find the will of God for your life. Mm. You know, I say that because if you look at the Bible and staying on the children of Israel, when Moses actually got the detailed plans of God's will for his life, it was when he was out in the wilderness tending mm. sheep. God gave him the detailed plans. And then when the children of Israel came out and were in the wilderness, God gave him the detailed plans of how all of the children of Israel were to live and to to do things. He gave them the Ten Commandments. He literally gave them the will for their lives, the tabernacle, all. He gave that to them while they were in the wilderness. And I never realized, I used to always want, you know, to see God do things, to see what God's plan was for my life. And I didn't realize that in many people, it may not be for everyone. I don't want to throw it out there like a blanket statement, but for me, I've learned that many wilderness experiences will help you see the will of God for your life. Mm-hmm. And I never knew that before. I just thought it was like a, you know, you do such and such and such, but God has shown me through this, his will for me. And even you could look at Paul the Apostle the same. He went to the desert for three years and God opened up and showed him what he was going to have to suffer, all the different things. And it just begins as you look in scripture that God takes people through this season. But then once they come through it, his will is shown to them and they can go forth and do what God wants them to do. So that's what I've learned through this season. I love that. It's not it's not the way that we would do it. Right. But his ways are not our ways. Amen. Definitely not the way we would do it. <laughs> well, I I appreciate you coming on so much. This has been so great. I know it can't be an easy thing to talk about over and over again, but I appreciate you sharing your heart with us. And I know that someone is going to is going to be encouraged, whether they're just walking into a wilderness season or whether the Lord is going to use this podcast to prompt them that they need to keep walking forward that he's appointed a time for it to to come to an end. And that on the other side, they're going to have greater purpose and greater understanding and a closer walk with him. I believe that. And I appreciate you being willing to share with us to help somebody else along the road. I thank you so much for having me on and just being able to share this with people and be open and transparent about this season in my life. Well, we always wrap up with the same final question. Because our show is called Good Question, we always ask, what is a good question that you're asking yourself lately? So (laughs) mine's not deep at all. (laughs) (laughs) So everybody's getting their stimulus check. I just want to know, where's my tax return? I (laughs) filed two months ago and I'm still waiting for my money. (laughs) And I'm like, come on, IRS. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. That's just been something that's really been on my mind. (laughs) That's a good, that is a good question. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Well, we will, we will be in prayer with you, Brother Chris, that the IRS gets their act together and gets you your your tax return. (laughs) No, thank you so much, though. This is a pleasure. It's been so good. I I appreciate your, appreciate your sticking with me. And uh, I know this is going to be a blessing to somebody. Uh, Thank you so much once again for having me on. And uh, thank you for all the the prayers and everything and for this opportunity. And me and Declan just want to say we encourage everyone to just continue to go forward. We love you all and just pray that God continues to use you. Oh, friends.
friends, aren't you so grateful to Chris for sharing his testimony? Like I said in the beginning, no Christian is immune from seasons in the wilderness. If you have been through it already, I know you can relate to Chris's feelings of confusion and even anger. But I hope you've also seen God's hand leading you out on the other side. If you're still walking through a season in the wilderness, I believe Chris's practical steps to keep moving forward can make a difference for you today. If you've not yet been through a wilderness experience, I pray this episode gives you hope that no matter how difficult life becomes here on earth, God is always working every detail for our good. He is faithful to fulfill His promises. He is gracious to sustain us. His love never fails, no matter what our circumstances say. If you are blessed by Chris's testimony, I know he'd be honored for you to share it with a friend. Someone out there needs to hear this message. I hope you'll pass it on. And I hope you'll join me this week to lift up Chris and Declan in prayer. I am certain the enemy is furious to have Chris sharing this message of hope, despite his loss and pain. Let's cover him and his son and ask God to continue to bless them with his perfect peace as they continue to heal. I'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode or any of our previous episodes. You can find the podcast on Instagram at Good Question Show, and I'm at Jessica Tanderup. That's Jessica T, as in Tuesday, A-N-D-E-R-U-P. You can also search for the show page on Facebook, or you can email us. Our email address is goodquestionshow at gmail.com. This podcast is a production of Good Question Media and is produced and hosted by me, Jessica Tanderup. My co-producer, editor, and the person who spends more hours listening to this podcast than anyone else on earth is my husband, Dave Tanderup. Our audio engineer is Josh Powalczyk. That's it for this week. We'll be back here next Tuesday with another good question. See y'all then.